review. Here we go. Week number one, we talked about week number one. Boom, I hit the button again. Week number one, we talked about chapters one through three. Paul uses creation uh, as the first pillar of his case. He says, listen, there's no excuse for not at least acknowledging that there's a God because this cannot be accidental. This must be more purposeful than that. And so he takes from that, if there is a God and you don't notice him, you choose not to obey him, not to follow him, not to worship him, not to seek him, there's consequences for that. Those consequences lead us to painful results. Those painful results should lead us back to repentance. I'm in so much pain. I feel so empty. I feel so alone. I hurt everybody. I get hurt by everybody. I just, if there's a God out there, help me. And that's what these cascading levels of judgment come to. Chapter 2, he says very plainly, there's not just bad people out there. There's bad people inside. You shave bad people's face, guys. You shave bad people's legs, ladies, I don't know, whatever that is. There's like we are bad people. Nobody's good. So by the time we get to chapter 3, all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. Now, Paul gets us good and lost. I mean, guys, no, good news isn't good news unless there's bad news, right? I remember I was training uh, to be a, 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 the medical portion of my military police school and uh, they're telling us how to keep people out of shock, lay them flat, put their, their feet up on the steel pot, say comforting words to them, tell them, tell them good news. And Hampston, my, my, my partner in crime there, said, he leans over and he goes, hey, we have good news. We found both your legs. I'm like, oh, that's, I, thank you. That's great. I mean, no, that's not good news unless you lost your legs, right? So the gospel being saved, sins being forgiven, it, it doesn't matter if I'm a good person and you're a good person. So Paul makes sure we understand just how really far Everybody is from God. Now you say, but I'm closer to God. I'm a better person. I, there's a difference between being good and being innocent. Once you cross the line from innocence to guilt, what, what would uncross that line? If you run a stop sign and the cop sees you, and during the point of him catching up, you stop at five other stop signs, and say, listen, I was going to give you a ticket, but you were so good with the other five stop signs that the stop sign, the law that you broke, now doesn't matter because you were so good obeying the other. How many guys know when there's a police officer behind you, we all tap the brakes anyway. We all say, do I have the insurance? Do I have the registration? We slow down. I, I just drove back from Canada a couple days ago. Canadians drive by faith and not by sight. <laughs> like, dude, that's kilometers, not miles per hour. <laughs> They're going past you. <laughs> like, Anyway, so week two, Paul uses the life of Abraham because he's talking to both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. So they, they both had an appreciation. One had a, a reverence for Abraham. Abraham is the O-T-O-G. He's, he's the guy from the Old Testament that's like one of the original gangsters. So pre-law account of his journey to, to right standing before God. How did Abraham become right with God? Like, let's talk about Jews, Gentiles. Let's talk. Was, was it by obeying the law? Was it by being innocent? Was it by being good? What, how, I mean, we know his life, it was written down for us. He made a lot of huge mistakes. So how was he made righteous once unright? If he blew through the stop sign, how was it he became innocent after obviously being guilty? It was because Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's, he's trying to say, listen, this is not a new thing since Jesus. This is an old thing that predates the law. People were righteous by trusting God before Jesus. Now, with Jesus, there's a new covenant. There's a new agreement. There's a new contract. It's, it's very different. Now we have to put our trust in Jesus to, to take us to the Father for our sins to be forgiven. But week chapter 2, and then last week, uh, man, we had Pastor Jason brought out Romans chapter 8, which is what every preacher wants to preach on every Sunday. Abba, Father, we're heirs. There's no condemnation. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. Actually, next week, Pastor Carl is going to preach on that. I'm going to teach on it the week after that, but he's going to preach on it next week. So you want to be a part of it. Jason brought out, man, just God's a loving father. How many of you guys know that? The more you know it, the more you get to live this thing. 
The less you know it, the more you, you put your toe in and pull it back out again. Put your toe in back out again. So know this. So today we're going to talk about Houston. Me, myself, and I have a problem. Paul's going to ask a series of questions here that are pretty common to mankind. If I were to come to you and say, listen, this debt that you have, you owe um, another person a billion dollars. How would you like to pay that, cash or credit? You're like, uh, we don't have it. And then someone else comes along and goes, hey, it's cool. I've actually paid it for you, and you're free to go. Now, you're about to lose your house, your car, your children are about to be sold into slavery, your wife was about to be taken uh, off to debtor's prison with you to be separated. Everything you had, everything you were, everything you knew is completely gone because of this debt. It's over. The person you were a minute ago, you are no longer that person. It's time for judgment. And someone walks up and he goes, hey, wait, wait, wait. Once that sinks in, I've got this. And he, and he writes a check and it's good. And he pays the billion dollars of debt. Now, how many of you guys know, you, you kind of want to know, okay, what do I owe you now? Does this make sense? No, you don't owe me anything. I, I paid it. I paid it and it's free. Now, in a relationship, there'll be fruit, but, but it isn't like you can earn that back. No matter what you do for that person, you're never going to earn a billion dollars and give it back to him. You should send him a card on his birthday. Right? You, you should wash his car if you can. You should find out where his heart is and invest your heart there as well. You should find out what's important to him. And that should become important to you. Like, if you really appreciate that he just rescued everything you ever loved, everything you ever knew, everything you're about to lose, and it was all your fault, then you would kind of want to know how to make him happy. Would you not? But you're never going to repay that debt. And now there's this, there's, this, there's this quandary. What do I do with this grace? How do I let It's just too good to be true. How many guys know when someone walks up and goes, you're, you're, you're done in the final five, you know, um, I, let me do it another way. If there ever was a Nigerian princess who had oil money that she needed to get moved from Nigeria to America, how many guys know we would all ignore her? Because it's too good. We've all seen the scam for just, you just give me your bank routing number so that I can put this money into your account. How many guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about or no? Have you all been like seeing the Nigerian oil princess scam? Because we all know there's Nigerian oil princesses in Nigeria. It's just ridiculous, right? But people literally said, oh, here's my bank routing number. It's my lucky day. Only to find out some guy in Nigeria goes, thank you very much. And their account balance is zero now. And there's nobody to do it because you gave them. That wasn't, that wasn't like they stole it online in the dark web. You gave them your information to withdraw money so there's nothing you can do about it, even though Nigeria wouldn't care and they wouldn't help you anyway, right? In the same way, now, all of a sudden, we've got this, this great gift. It's so great, in fact, our minds and our hearts have a very difficult time wrapping around it. And remember we said at the very beginning, first statement I made was you only receive the love that you believe you deserve. And if you don't believe you deserve the love, people say, man, I love you. You're like, ah, oh, I, I appreciate that. But if you knew me like I know me, how many guys know what I'm talking about? Your mama says, I love you. Like, maybe she means it. But a stranger, I, I just love you. I just love the way you preach. I just like, ah, oh, you don't, you see me on the platform, but you don't see me in traffic <laughs> with Canadians after I had French fries with gravy and cheese curds on top of it. Don't judge me. This is, this is good. They're actually running a deal. I had a punch card. Buy 10, get a free defibrillator. It was, it, I thought it was a great deal. So, so here comes a series of questions Paul's going to ask. And, and, and he, he preempts. Like, they're going to ask this. So I might as well ask it and answer it. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that this grace of God, like, if it's God's grace that counteracts my sin, then the more I sin, the more grace there is. Like, Paul, that's dumb. Like, it, should I just go on sinning? Is that what you're saying? He goes, no, by no means. Romans chapter 6, verse 15, he asks another question. What then? Shall we sin 
because we're not under the law but under grace? And he goes, no, come on. Of course not. And then Romans chapter 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Like, if I didn't know what, what sin was, then I couldn't have committed that sin, if you will. So by giving me the law and saying, don't covet, as soon as I covet, I'm in sin. So what, the law is the problem? So he asked these three questions. And, and by looking at, and I've kind of helped you because I've underlined a word or two in these things. What is, what is the real question that, that, he's, that really is the one we ask? What do I do with... So if I'm forgiven and there's grace and I'm a new creation and, and my debt is paid, but I still have the tendency to run out of a new tab... That's too good to be true. If you knew who I was, you'd have never paid my bill. If you knew who I was, you'd have never sent your son to die in my place because though you've forgiven me, I don't know how to stop sinning. And, and let me just say this. The sins that I struggle with today are not, by and large, the sins I struggled with 35 years ago when I gave my life to Christ. Matter of fact, my worst day today would have been better than my best day 35 years ago. The problem is, as I've drawn closer to Christ, let's, that, that TV set, my monitor has a light on it, I'm, and I'm, I'm probably shattered by now, right? Like this screen, I'm invisible, <laughs> right? As I get closer to the light, look at the screen, what do you see? You see more or less of me? More detail or less detail? If I had dirt on my shirt, would you see it by now? If I had something stuck in my teeth, would you see it by now? As I've gotten closer to the light, I've realized more of what's wrong with me. So I don't think anybody actually arrives and goes, man, when I was saved then, it was by the grace of God, but now. Like, we're in trouble if that's our mindset. Come on. So as I've gotten closer, I've become more aware of that word in my life. So I, I don't know that we ever stop this wrestling match. So what do I do then? And I think maybe some of you are here right now saying, okay, answer that question. So if I'm forgiven and I'm born again, but I, I'm still wrestling with this, am I really saved? If I continue to have a tendency or a desire or, or uh, failures or like, I mean, if I haven't totally defeated every area that's defeated me, am I even saved? The number one thing when I talk to people about questioning their own salvation has nothing to do with the power of God. It has to do with the power of their sin. We give sin way too much credit. And we give Jesus way too little credit. So the real question is, what do I do with my sin? So here comes his answers. You ready? He says, you're dead. Now act like it. Romans chapter 6, he says this, listen, just as Jesus was alive, gave his life, resurrected from the dead, so in baptism, so water baptism, you, you're, you had your life, you gave it to Jesus. It says, if you went in the grave with him in the water, when you come up, you live this new resurrected life. You're dead. Act like you're dead to sin and now alive to Christ. Does that make any sense? Let, let me just say, what, he, what he, I think what he's saying is this. That old way of life, although there's still memories and residues and habits and neuron paths and, and all that kind of stuff, that is what you used to be, but that is now dead. And you get to learn how to live this new life. By the time we get to Romans chapter 12, he's talking about being transformed, a metamorphosis. Metamorphos is the word, transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind. So there's a promise that goes along with a process. Come on, somebody say amen. It isn't just a process. It's a promise. There's a promise of a transformational relationship with Jesus. It doesn't start with perfection, any other perfection but his. And as we're conformed to the likeness of Christ, as we, as we find ourselves being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we're moving closer to Jesus. Now, we're never going to pass him, and we're never going to catch him. That's why Jesus died and gave his life for us, because we, we need him for salvation. We need him to be saved. We need him to stay saved. We need his spirit to give us power to overcome sin. But understand this. If you're dead, sin is not your master. 
It doesn't matter what you owed. The day you die, you don't owe it anymore. That's somebody else's problem. It doesn't matter who's suing you. The day you die, that lawsuit is dropped because the plaintiff is dead. Are you here? You're dead. Now act like it. That part of me no longer has life in it, and I'm not going to live there. I'm alive to Christ, and I'm moving forward. He says, also, you're a slave. Now act like it. You're a dead slave. How many guys are having a good day so far? What's he mean by slave? Well, it, it's a bondservant, but it is a legal binding. It's, it's the slaves... Uh, was in, in Rome, there's about a million people that live in the city that this is written to. About 60% of them were owned people. 40% free, 60% slave. Mostly conquered people or the children, grandchildren of conquered people. So when he says you're a slave, there's like, oh, I wonder what that means. Does that mean like American Revolution? Does that mean like a Civil War? It, it means, he knows exactly what it means. I don't have time to go into it. But as a Hebrew, if you're enslaved because of debt to another Hebrew, there was a way within seven years to be worked out of that. Every 49 years, everything reverted back to ownership when Israel had a king. And it's a long story. I won't get into it. But he says this. You used to be a slave to darkness. Remember that? Remember when you couldn't stop? Remember when you couldn't keep your word? Remember when you couldn't keep your zipper up? Remember when you couldn't keep the bottle out of your mouth? Remember when the left-handed cigarette and the right-handed cigarette were, you know, the, remember that? Remember the shame of the pornography? Remember the, the disobedience to your parents? Do you remember how you look for something to fill the void? Well, that part of you that you gave yourself to wholeheartedly, couldn't wait for Friday night, couldn't wait for Saturday night. You hated Saturday morning and Sunday morning because you're hungover from Friday night and Saturday night. I understand college students today start on Thursday to avoid the rush. Remember, remember how terrible life was when you woke up and you didn't know where you were? You didn't know who you were next to? Remember that? You were a slave to it. You couldn't stop. Now we're slaves to Jesus. The same thing you look forward to Friday night, look forward to Sunday morning. The same thing you look forward to on Thursday night. Man, look forward to that on Thursday morning. Be looking to serve God with excitement, zeal, enthusiasm, community, just like you two. You can serve the king of kings instead of the king of beers. That wasn't an ad for Budweiser. Third thing is, is this. You're a widow. Now act like it. So I, that's weird. I'm a guy. Follow me. He's basically saying this. If, if a person who's married while their spouse is still alive, he uses the, the, a, a woman's point of view, uh, one of the only times he does, but he says, you know, if a woman has sexual relationship with another man while her husband's alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry another. Listen, because of what Jesus did, you are now free to marry another. You're dead to that old rules, the thou shalt, the thou shalt not. Now the things we do come out of a new marriage and out of a relationship, out of a covenant with Jesus Christ that makes us want to do the do's and, and makes the don'ts so repugnant that we find ourselves like, I'm just in love with Jesus. How many of you guys know, when someone asked one time, what, what is the definition of sin? This is not the definition of the word sin, but I think it's a beautiful picture of what God would see as sin. He said this, sin to me is anything that cools my passion for Christ. That's, that's what he's talking about here. You, you used to be a slave. You used to be uh, this other life. You used to be like married to this abusive law, but now you are free to love Jesus. And if in loving Jesus you find yourself on the wrong side of the rules, aren't you glad Jesus still loves you? Aren't you glad he wasn't just wounded for our transgressions, so blood flowed outwardly in the wounds of Jesus to pay for our outward acts of sin, but he was also bruised for our iniquities, the inward bleeding, the shedding of blood on the inside for the inside of us that still needs a Savior. I, I don't think you're getting this, and, and I'll tell you why. I, I think what I'm getting right now from you guys is kind of a, yeah, cool, I think that's, that's nice information. Hear me. There's a revelation that the saving power of Christ doesn't end at conversion. 
There's a revelation that no matter what I'm about to do, not do, man, Jesus will not disown me. I'm not talking about eternal security. It doesn't matter what you do. If you abandon him, there, you've placed the distance. The prodigal son leaves home, and, and when he comes back, the father doesn't say he was gone. He says he was dead. Revelation talks about candlesticks, and you better knock it off. I'm going to remove the candlestick. Like, what you have in me will be taken away if you walk far enough away. But understand this. If we're so afraid of losing our salvation that we can't enjoy it, something's wrong. We're looking at God as something different than what he is. Blasphemy is not just using his name in vain. Blasphemy is not recognizing who he is. And maybe we could say that the number one sin of the American church is not using his name in vain, but not recognizing the glory of his being. And accusing his character of being less than less powerful than my sin. Is that your God? Less powerful than 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 my, my ability to love him back? Is that your God? It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to find their place in his heart. So we can find our place in this world. Boy, that almost sounds prophetic. I don't know where that came from. We're gonna blame that one on Jesus. I need some help. Um, this may seem weird, so I'm gonna ask Pastor Jason if he'd help me. Would you come up here, please? Um, Dan Abel, this, you just have to. Would you help me, please? That would be great. I, I just, I'm trying to, I'm, I, people that I know, I just can't hurt because this is going to be painful. Do I see Pastor Les? Pastor Les, what are you doing in here? Come on up here, buddy. All right. If you would just stand right on this line, right in the bright, and I'm going to introduce myself to you with these people because Paul's going to go, he's going to do something here. Um, this is, okay, uh, and you'll stand over here, Pastor Les, that'd be good. All right, let me introduce you to me. This is, um, this is my spirit man. It's been born again. It doesn't look like the me that I used to be. It looks like Jesus. This is John chapter 3, verse 3, where Jesus says a man must be born again. This is me, born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? It's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become, boom, on its way to heaven. This part of me is so saved. Look at him. Just try not to smile. I'm saved. I get to be a spirit. Okay, good, right? This is my soul. Let me see you break dance. Just kidding. Okay. This is, this is my soul. <laughs> um, now, my soul, unlike my spirit, this is saved. This is being saved. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is being transformed by the renewing of my mind. So even though this part of me is, is locked into Jesus and there's unity, this part of me is my mind, my will, my emotions. It's going through a process. It, it knows that to be true. And Pastor Les, I'm sorry, but I just, I knew you take the beating well. So this is my flesh. Everybody say boo. No, guy comes to the main auditorium and gets booed, right? So, um, it's never going to be saved. This is what, what Genesis chapter 3 talks about, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. This, listen, when, when Jesus, I'm sorry, when the Father tells Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this, you shall surely, it's not like, okay, I changed my mind, like it's going to die. So my flesh is never going to be saved. It's dying, and it wants me to die with it. Let me say that again. Sorry, Pastor Les. You want to trade with, with Dan? You're going to be my spirit? Okay, trade places, trade places. All right, good. All right, good. All right. Uh, <laughs> Boo. All right. This makes sense. <laughs> staff member, staff member, deacon. See the progress? All right. <laughs> Jason's like, I want to be your flesh. No, you don't. Okay. So 
Watch what Paul does. Now, when Paul's going to describe to you why you do what you do and why you don't do what you don't do, why you want to but you can't and why you don't want to but you do, he's going to use language that if we didn't understand the triune being of man, wouldn't make any sense. Like, literally, he says, it wasn't me that sinned, it was me. I mean, I was like, there's medication for that. You, you don't have to... No, no. Can you imagine getting pulled over? Uh, excuse me, you're doing 45 miles an hour in a school zone uh, backwards on a motorcycle. It's okay, officer. It wasn't me. It was me. Like, okay, I need backup on uh, Owen Road, right? So now this is what he does. So this is my what? My spirit. This is my, uh, my mind, my will, my emotions. And this is my flesh. Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Dan. I, I just slept in a cabin with him all week, and so there is a rotten kind of a smell that comes sometimes. Anyway, okay, so this is what he does. Now look at Romans chapter 7. And this is Romans 7, verse 14. And, and help me. So we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Is he, which part of me is he talking about? The law is spiritual. Is, this, is my spirit spiritual? Yes. Is my soul spiritual? I mean, it can be, right? This, this is where yoga comes in. This is where meditation, the Eastern kind, comes in. This is where Buddhism comes in. Like, we can be spiritual and not be born again. We can be spiritual, but not all things that are spiritual are wholly spiritual. Some things are evil spiritual, unclean spiritual. Speaking of which, the deacon. This is, so we know that the law is spiritual, but I, which part is the I that he's talking about that's unspiritual? Thank you. All right. <laughs> I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, when he talks about understanding, what, what part? The, the mind, the will, the emotions, the spirit, the body. What does he mean when he says, I don't understand? Which part of him doesn't understand? Come on, everybody. The... I'm pointing to him, so it's easy now, right? So this part of me standing in the middle goes, I don't understand what I do. That makes sense? I don't, like, I wanted that New Year's resolution that ended on the 2nd of January. It makes no sense to me. I walked into it with a full head of steam. I overate the week before so that I'd go on that diet January 1st. By January 2nd, I found, because my flesh said, I want, I want, I want, right? So I think I did it the wrong way. So I don't understand what I do, the flesh. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Well, I'm really glad that you aren't women. That would have been awkward, right? Okay. Here we go. All right. Oh, back to spirit. All right? And if... Which one is it now? Because we changed. You're the story. Okay. So if, if, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree, hey, the law is good. Like, that makes sense. I see that if I do what I shouldn't do, I feel bad. It is bad. It does bad. It is wrong. I, I get that, right? I, I see that. Um, as it is, here we go. It's no longer I, myself, who do it, but it's sin living in, in Dan. For I know, there's the brain again, for I know that good itself does not dwell in, in me, that is in my sinful nature, like he's called it what it is now. For I have the desire, that's the spirit talking to the soul, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For, for I, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do this, I keep on doing. Does this make sense? Are you getting this? All right. Now, if I do 
Which of the flesh is you now, right? If I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I that do it, but it's sin that's living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but, but I see another law at work in me, waging the war uh, against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man Dan is. <laughs> Who will rescue me, me, from this body that's subject to death? And then he gives the answer to his own question. Thanks be to God who delivers me, body, soul, and spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you get that? Thanks, guys. Let's give my hand as I take off. Yeah. <laughs> Advertising for Megacamp. Does this make sense to you? Does it make sense in you? By that I mean, is it, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Yeah, but not wrong with all of you. Just wrong with a part of you that's dying and wants you to die with it. There's a part of us that will not submit itself to God, does not want to submit itself to God, is opposed to God. It wants what it wants when it wants it. It's the three-year-old in Walmart that saw the candy bar and isn't allowed to have it. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't eat for the next eight hours and you'll meet you. Don't eat for the next 12 hours and the neighbors will meet you. What is it, what I mean? There's a part of you that is weak, that is crumbling, that is dying. Um, there's a party that's very confusing to other parts of you because even when you most delight in God, even when you're, you feel closest to him, even when you want more of him and you're hungry and you're on fire and you're filled, you have to understand that every time I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Uh, the way to be free from the flesh is that the flesh will someday die. But these are the, it's binary. Either the flesh will someday die, your soul and your spirit, being resurrected and a new body coming with it, but not the old body, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but a new resurrected body, which seems to be able to overeat without consequence, which seems to be able to pass through walls, which seems to be able to appear in places, various places. Like, I don't know about you, I've never been to Hawaii, but if it still exists, like when heaven's around, I'd like to go to Hawaii. I don't want to go now, it's too far away, I got too much to do, but you know, if the Crystal Sea has like sand and palm trees, awesome, right? So it, it, it's not limited to the physical world, the fallen world. It, it's actually greater than that. But this, my soul and my spirit, I know, will finally be free from that, that wrestling match within me. And so he makes that, that last statement, who will rescue me from this body of death? Let me, just, let me just give you this. Before the Roman era began, there was a king. And there's some evidence historically that what he did to people continued through, into the Roman era. And what he would do is if someone committed a, uh, an especially heinous crime, whatever that was, they would take the corpse of a dead person, obviously it wouldn't be a corpse, and they would chain it hand to hand, face to face, waist to waist, and leg to leg. So they'd be shackled with the corpse facing them. And, and because the king's cruelty was such, you know, the smell, the the horrific sight. How do you sleep chained neck to neck, face to face with a corpse? How do you eat with a rotting, decaying corpse? It was a slow, agonizing death that 
No matter what you ate, it was diseased. No matter the flies, the fleas, the biting insects, the, you late, you got up, there's maggots falling up, and it's chained to you. You can't get free from it. And again, there's some historical evidence that this may be what Paul is talking about when he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? There's a part of you that is dying and it wants you to die with it. Who will rescue me from me, from this part of me that will not be redeemed, will not submit? Who will rescue me from me? And he says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the things that, again, history hints at, I'm not going to say this is doctrine, but history, especially pre-Roman history, is cloudy, but it seems to be a case can be built that they would be allowed, they weren't chained to a post, they were free to walk around. Well, when they came to a town looking for someone to help them, would you help me? Would you? They could be helped, but it, someone had to come and take that corpse off of the man and lay down his life to take his place with his corpse. So if someone comes walking into your town and he's got Weekend at Bernie's hanging off of him, if you don't get that joke, then you're holier than I am, and I appreciate that. Please, I'm so hungry. I, get out. Get away from me. You're deceived. That's unclean. Get away. Please help me. I'm hungry. I, I, please, I'm so sick. I, I, my body is decaying next to this dead thing. And please help me. Please, I need, I need someone to rescue me. I need a savior. I need someone to die in my place. I know no one's going to do this, but I, but in hope from village to village. And, and what what happened to you? I I, I hacked off the king, and this is the penalty of those who break his laws. Will you help me? No, no. Get it. My children are here, man. Get away from them. This is before the art of counseling. Like, I, they're not going to be able to help you. Like, get, get away from me. And they throw it to the next town. Please, please. And everywhere he laid down, he'd wake up in the maggots and the disease and the, the funk and the just, ugh, right? Who will rescue me from this body of death? If that's what Paul's saying, then please imagine with me Jesus walking up to you, me, myself, and I, and saying, I will. I will unchain you, and I will take your place. I will save you. I will rescue you. I will cleanse you. I will feed you. I will bathe you. I will love you. I will lay down my life. Because the thought of eternity without you is so unthinkable that I am willing now to do the unimaginable. Though I've done nothing wrong, though I don't deserve this punishment, you do. Because I love you, I can't watch you die without hope. Does this make sense? I, my kids had never been inside of a burning building, but if they were, what would you do for your children? What would you do for your loved one? What would you do for your neighbor? What would you do for your mama? What would you do for your grandma? House is on fire. Years ago, there was a trip that went to Cedar Point. I think about every time our kids go to Cedar Point. They're coming back in a church bus, and an alcoholic, or the guy was drunk. He ran a stop sign, hit the gas tank, and the bus just went up in flames. Of course, the guy that caused the accident survived, but the when the bus caught on fire, there were kids that just couldn't get out. They were injured. They were unconscious. And uh, I think 17 children and, and a handful of adults all died in a, in a bus. It just went up. It was instantaneous. Some got out the back. Some got out the windows. But many of them were just engulfed in the flames. When the bus cooled off, the youth pastor who was in the back of the bus was found dead in the front of the bus. There was a student, it was a junior high kid, and uh, it appeared that perhaps his leg had been stuck in the damage. The youth pastor ran into the flames and wrapped himself around 
a 12-year-old and died with him so he didn't have to die alone. At some point, he must have known, I'm not rescuing him, but I can't leave him. Jesus knows that not everybody's going to be saved. He's aware that some people will stay stuck. Some people will make their own decisions to not need the mercy of God, to ignore them altogether. Those who reject his mercy, understand this, Jesus dies with you in so many ways. But for those who will find the way out, as he points to it, as he is it, the way, the truth, and the life, there's a way out. And you don't have to die in the flames. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father except through him, but through him we come to the Father because he's shown us the way. He's shown us the truth. He's led us to the life. Hell is not for bad people. Heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for forgiven people. The Moravians had a saying, 100 years of 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer. They were trying to get to a slave colony to, to reach the people that were being kidnapped from their homes in Africa and sent off to Europe and North America to live out the rest of their lives as slaves, and they wanted to reach them. There's a, a saying, it said, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. That was the Moravians. So in the gates of hell was a literal place where the slaves, terrified, kidnapped, shanghaied, in chains, sick, dying, and putting on boat like cargo, and a third of them would die or more on the, the, the transatlantic crossing. And, and they would preach the gospel. They would preach the gospel. They would preach the gospel. Finally, they said there was a, a slave colony somewhere where there was no hope. There was no... Jesus, and they said, we will go with them. And they said, the only way you're getting on this boat is for you to become a slave. And so they sold themselves into slavery. And as they were on the deck of the ship, they weren't in the hold, but they were slaves, and they were never coming back. And their brethren on the dock watching them go, praying for them as they're leaving, never to come back, and to die as slaves, working in sugar cane fields. From the ship, they yelled back to their brethren on the shore, and they said these words. Win for the Lamb. Win for the Lamb, the reward for His suffering. The only reward that Jesus will get for His suffering is your faith. The only thing He wants from you is you. Once He has that, the rest of it works itself out. But until He has that, nothing's going to work because your flesh has a big mouth and a big will. Your spirit and your soul in a world that feeds our flesh in a three-dog fight, the one that's been fed wins. Your soul and your flesh are fed a constant diet in a thousand different ways every day. But when your spirit man is born again, there's a battle that begins. Jesus has already won it. We just have to fight it. Will you win for the lamb, the reward for his suffering? Could you close your eyes all over this room right now? I don't understand what I do. The good I want to do, I don't do. And the, 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 the sin I don't want to do, I end up doing. And I, I don't understand. Is, am I okay with God? Um, I don't know how to answer this question universally, but I'm just saying if, that, if you've given your life to Jesus and Jesus has given his life for you, then he is greater than every sin you have committed and will commit. Romans chapter 8 begins this. I'm not going to steal Carl's thunder, but it's just there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. doesn't mean there's no guilt. doesn't mean there's no conviction. But, but the penalty, the condemned part of your actions has been paid for by Jesus. Therefore now, Romans chapter 7, therefore, you got to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? 
He's connecting all of Romans 1 through 7 with this beautiful statement in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, everybody say life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. I am a freed slave. My abusive husband has died and I'm free to marry a loving groom named Jesus. I am dead to my past and I am alive to my destiny through baptism, through Christ. If you're here today and you don't know this, you're not living this, you haven't embraced this, you could have been in this church for the last 20 years. A lot of people know about this, but they don't know this. Jesus died in your place, and now we die to our old selves to live for Christ, to marry this, this wonderful groom, to be free as his slaves with our own will to lay our lives down, win for the lamb the reward for his sufferings. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You say, Jim, I want this today. I want this today. I want this today. I need this today. I can't save me. Like what you just said today lines up. I've asked myself those questions. Am I really saved? I don't know what your answer is, but whatever the answer is, know this. Jesus really wants to save you. Dying to, literally, died so that he could save you here and now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I want this. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand in just a moment. Think about it. Don't do this half-heartedly. Don't do this begrudgingly. Don't, don't do this traditionally. Do this because by raising your hand, you're taking what's inside of you and you're extending your hand nice and high in the air as an act of faith. I believe that by raising my hand, I'm, I'm responding to an offer. I'm, I'm taking, I'm re, if I were drowning and somebody came by with their hand, I'd reach up my hand as if to say, you know, catch me. Like, that's why I'm raising my hand. I want the saving mercy of God expressed through his son, Jesus Christ. I, I want this. I, I choose this. I prefer this over every other option. I won't let my flesh condemn me. I won't let my flesh lie to me anymore. I won't let my flesh be my Lord. Jesus Christ will be my Lord and Savior from this day forward, no matter what it costs me. No matter what I have to give up, quit, change, break up with, no matter what, I will give my life today to one Savior for the rest of my life and into all eternity. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand all over this room right now. All over this room. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. doesn't matter where you're raised. doesn't matter what you know. Don't be ashamed. I, and, and that's awesome. You know, awesome. Not ashamed. God, an act of faith. Boom. Pray this with me now all over this room. Will you please say this with me? Jesus. With my free will, I choose you. You said in your word that I could be born again, and that's what I ask for now. Forgive me. Bury my past. Birth my future. From this point on, from this day forward, with this one decision, I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. I'll see you soon. <laughs> I love it. Just stand to your feet, please. Altar workers are making their way forward today, and uh, I'm going to be making my way to the back.
to shake a few hands and do my, my North American pastor imitation, you know. Uh, I encourage you to read the book of Romans. And when you're done, would you read the book of Romans? And after you finish that, read the book of Romans. And read it and read it and read it. Don't, don't make it what you know. Make it who you are. And plant that word in your heart. By the time we get to Romans chapter 12, we really want to deal with this, this metamorphose, right? So uh, God bless your people. Those who would need prayer, Father, may they find their way to this altar this morning to be prayed for. We pray, God, over these families, over these destinies, over these generations. God, we break off every curse and we bestow every blessing in Christ. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.